You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Interstate Battery retail stores all over the United States. So whether you need a a new truck battery, which, by the way, I've heard that they are some of the best in the automotive industry, right? A truck battery, a car battery. If you need batteries for something as simple as a remote control or a unique battery for a rangefinder or one of your children's toys, uh, Interstate Batteries not only has those batteries available, if they don't have them, they can order them for you. Or if you need to find out more about a specific battery battery or the specs of a specific battery, stop into their retail store and talk with a battery specialist. These guys are very knowledgeable about what products they offer and what it is that you need for whatever battery you're looking for. So stop in to a local retail store or visit interstatebatteries.com to learn more about their company, the batteries that they offer, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So check out interstatebatteries.com. Interstate batteries, outrageously dependable. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Come on, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many day, how many days a week can you spend on As much as I can, to be honest with you. Anytime that I get, I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> In this episode of the Houndsman XP podcast, you are going to get a sneak peek into what this crazy team of Houndsman at Houndsman XP talk about. This was originally recorded for a, um, a thing that we're going to roll out for our, on our Patreon page called Tailgate Talks, but we wanted to give you, the listener, a sneak peek into what you will hear as a Patreon supporter of Houndsman XP. This is going to be bonus material type stuff. This is a long recording of us just sitting around shooting the bull, you know, cutting the hash, doing whatever, talking about all kinds of stuff. We kind of wander away from hound stuff at the beginning, but then we roll back into it. But these are the things that all types of hunters talk about. And we are going to start producing that as tailgate talk for you. Uh, by the time this podcast came out, our current Patreon supporters will have already heard the first tailgate talk session that was was produced for you. So an episode like this, even though it's 56 minutes long, we're going to take conversations and topics and cut them down much shorter and give you bonus material as houndsmen. But this conversation was fun. You can tell that it's much more relaxed, but we talk about traditional hunting. We talk about big game hunting. We talk about flintlock rifles. We talk about traditional archery. Uh, we talk about cheddar brats, and we talk about all kinds of crazy stuff that should not go in the dishwasher. There is all kinds of stuff in this podcast that you're going to 
probably enjoy. I hope you get a lot of laughs out of it, but it was fun to make. So sit back and enjoy the podcast. Before we get there, a couple things. If you haven't heard already, Freedom Hunters is partnering with Houndsman XP to take veterans, America's warriors, their kids, their family members on outdoor adventures across the United States. And you can find all of the information that you need to get involved with Freedom Hunters on our website at houndsmanxp.com. You go to our, our link page there, Friends of Houndsman XP, and you're going to find Freedom Hunters. In 2020, we are working with houndsmen across the United States to give you an easy way to take a veteran and his family and introduce him to hunting. Take him on that hunting adventure. It's going to be very rewarding for you, and it's going to help our houndsman lifestyle and our community give us a credible voice. These patriots, uh, warriors, are very patriotic. They will vote. We need them in our corner. We need them to be a positive voice for who we are to preserve, protect, and promote the houndsman lifestyle. Go to houndsmanxp.com. Click on the link to Friends of Houndsman XP. Go to Freedom Hunters. Or you can send me an email direct. And my Freedom Hunters email address is houndsmanxp at freedomhunters.org. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Let's get something set up in your area to pay back to the people who are providing us with the freedoms to free cast these hounds. Enjoy this podcast. We want you to we want you to uh, have a good laugh this week. And as always, thank you for your time. Thank you for spending your time with us at Houndsman XP. jalapeno cheddar brats i had to finish and had a bunch of leftovers so it sounds so it's good. a leftover I, kind of night every sunday night we have family dinners and uh this sunday was at my house so i cooked everyone elk and mule deer burgers so they were pretty damn good if i do say so myself did you grind in uh, did you grind in bacon with them or did you just serve you got straight? it yeah oh i'm not an animal sir <laughs> because, it's so, because it's so lean yeah, it's so yeah. lean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although, you guys, I killed an oryx uh, two weeks ago, that guy I guided, and that oryx had two-inch layer of fat running from the back of its neck to the base of its tail. How? I've never so seen... you killed it? And no, my, my, my client did. My client <laughs> did, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it w- how, Chris? I know, that's something I was gonna, we were going to talk about if we segue to it in the tailgate talk because the, it was standing like 150 yards away from emaciated cattle. And that thing had a two-inch layer of fat on its back. Like, that's well, called wow. superior physiology and, like, amazingness. Well, hopefully that uh, oryx had bread. <laughs> oh, it did. That was about a 13-year-old female. Her teeth were probably a centimeter long. All so, right. Yeah, it was pretty sweet. So she has definitely had babies. She was only two inches off from the state record, actually. Wow. Yeah, so my hunter was pretty freaking pumped. That's so cool. Like it, it's like an African safari, but it's yeah. in New Mexico. Exactly. It's an hour from my house. Yeah. Not even an hour. Yeah. It, was, it was like 30 minutes from my front door. Yep. It's like um, that, like that, um, hunt I went on down at, in Georgia. I talked about it on the podcast a couple of weeks ago about the kudus running towards the fence and stuff. The giraffes. That was, uh, are you guys still there? Or did I lose you? No, I'm here. Mm-hmm. I'm here. Okay. So, um, that was remember Big Jim from Mutual of Omaha, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, probably way oh, before your time. I caught the I tail. I think end we're of that. too young. Yeah, <laughs> I, I caught the tail end of Mutual of Omaha, but I remember I used to remember some episodes. But go ahead. Yeah, Big Jim. That was actually his plantation. So he had all these exotic animals from around the world. There was like a baboon cage and. And but I, yours is even more cool because it's all open range, free range. Yeah, public Orcs. land too. Yeah. Yep. One hundred percent. You guys, land. hold on. I gotta run outside get my shot collar remote so I can shut Ridge up. Hold on. Yeah, I figure we'll get recording soon, but when she comes back in. But yeah, it was all one hundred percent on public land, and uh, that's the Ridge! blessing of New Mexico. <laughs> yeah, we, she's gonna be one of those sixty-year-old old ladies that are like Ridge. 
page. You know, it's so funny. I love when we were talking about the podcast and you were talking about shut up and you say hush. I say hush because I agree with you. There's just something so like redneck about just leaning out your window and being like, shut up. You know what I mean? Shut up. That's that's reserved for me from my wife. You know, I don't (laughs) I don't want anybody to be confused. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so. I, uh, I, I'm a hush kind of guy. And it's so funny because my hounds, they shouldn't bark unless they see their quarry. So, like, they're real quiet until they see something. But they only bark. The only time my dogs make a peep is if they see something. But I, since I live out here in the open, there's rabbits hopping around all over the place. And so they go ballistic when they see one hopping around outside the fence. And I'm just like, I don't want to get mad at them for doing what they're supposed to do. But at the same time, I'm like, be silent right now, or I'm going to come out here and start bashing people. Well, like, the crazy <laughs> thing is we'll, we'll come right back in the house. So, and then flip on Instagram or, or Facebook and <laughs> yeah. watch a video of Houndstrian. Yes, exactly. I'm back. Yeah. I've brought that up before. We've heard you. Yep. We were like, you heard you. Ranch, shut up. And I was like, Ranch. you're going to be. Yeah. So that, yeah. That dog. Oh my gosh. It's. If he's chained outside the camper and I'm in the camper, everything's fine. But if he knows, and now he's in his crate in the camper, and he knows that I'm not by him, it's like the world's ending. He's got a little separation anxiety going on. Yep. Well, guys, I yep. uh, I uh, want to tell you, I guess maybe if we need content, we'll save it. But I'm going to... I'm going to spot and stalk a bear this year with my flintlock on public. And uh, I may do one under hounds as well this year. So I may have some sweet content coming up. But I've always wanted to stalk a bear with my flintlock. So anyway. How close so, do you have to get for that? Um, the longest shot, I've, I killed a feral goat at 88. I killed a deer at 82. And I killed two javelina at 50. Um, so I don't, no farther than 88. That's really my limit. I, I wouldn't shoot at an animal any past that. And I did. I was comfortable shooting at that goat, but uh, it's definitely not something I would try to go for all the time. I'm, I'm shooting a. I don't know how much you know about black powder, but Chris, I know you no. used to shoot traditional, but it's a 58 caliber. And I'm shooting a hand casted soft lead ball, and I'm stoking it with 120 double F. So it's it's cranking some velocity. So so you're priming the pan with the same powder that you're putting down the barrel. No, I use 4F on the primer. You realize that the original hunters primed out the same horn. Oh, sure, sure. Yep. You know, you, and you can. I, I really don't get much slower ignition out of nope. using 2F. Oh. But I just use the 4 because I got it, and it has more surface area. So when I'm hunting in high wind or something like that, I have a better chance of catching it in that little dust. But, yeah, I've, I've primed with 2F that I've just used a rock to kind of crush it a little bit finer. I've uh, I've primed straight up 2F. I've primed 3F when I just have it available. Um, yeah, yeah. You, you can, can take you can take uh, like your napping hammer for your, from your flint, and when you pour your 2F in the pan, just use the uh, the backside of the napping hammer and crush it up a little bit finer. Mm. Golden. Yep, yep. I quit carrying. I quit buying and I quit uh, carrying a priming horn or anything. I primed and loaded out of the same horn. You know what? You should hit that record button. But also, it's already I'll tell on. You right. Oh, there you go. Great. Yeah, I'm Great. already rolling. Cool. Oh well. Welcome everyone to Houndsman XP Tailgate Talk. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, like, when it comes, I'm to preface it. I've been hunting with a flintlock now for five years. Uh, true, well, traditional muzzleloader five years. Flintlock two. Um, I've killed uh, three deer, an oryx, three javelina, and a feral goat with flintlock or traditional muzzleloader. Yeah. Um, and, and like I was saying, the, the, um, when I, when I prime it, I've always had that little priming horn, but when I was elk hunting last, um, I'll tell you right now, man, that was my first time big game hunting with my flinter and the flintlock has such an intense learning curve to anyone that's listening and wants to get into traditional hunting, start with a percussion gun because they are 10 times less forgiving than a modern gun, but a hundred times more forgiving than a flintlock. And I'll tell you, Chris, I had the elk at 85 yards closing in on me, a cow elk. It turned broadside at 70. I was rested on a tree. I was rock solid. My gun's putting really great groups in. If I'm on a solid rock, rock solid rest, I'm hitting clay pigeons on the ground at 85 all day long. So I knew I could put one right in the spot. And uh, then the elk winded me somehow. I don't know. I was. I thought I had the wind right, but the wind swirled to my back. I think some obviously it did. 
the elk turned to me straight on obviously never take a frontal shot with a traditional rifle you're never gonna do enough damage it doesn't do that hydraulic damage to really just total something as large as an elk even if it is 58 caliber which is what i was shooting but then the elk took off well later that day i wanted to discharge my round and shoot like this is about 20 30 minutes later when i was hiking back i wanted to discharge my round and swab because we were done for that session and i misfired what had happened was all my priming powder had fallen out of my pan from me not being um, very diligent when I was resting and I set the gun up against a tree or something. And over about three hours, all that priming powder had fallen out. So you now to, I'm like, you need to tune your lock. Yeah. I, that's what I found out. So like yeah. my, I, my, I had this tiny little air gap between my frizzen, like where my, where like my frizzen came over the top. It had this tiny little air gap between my touch hole and my frizzen top, like the cap. And so I re I retuned that spot and got it closed down. But now I'm super anal. Like even before I start a stock, I'll like flip open that prison and make sure my pan is still loaded and shut it. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go back, circle around to the, the statement you made about, uh, using a percussion gun for one thing, nipples belong on women, not on rifles. (laughs) Beyond that, beyond that, do you really think that, Anybody that was alive in the 18th century had the opportunity to use, use a percussion gun before they used a flintlock. Just pick no, up the I, flintlock and rock and roll, man. You don't need to, you don't need oh, to ease no. into it. Just get I'll to, counter you with that's what they had. That's what they had all the time. So you were raised shooting that flintlock. But in today's world, who do you know besides me that religiously shoots a flintlock? Nobody. So I had to learn the mistakes. No, see, I know several people. Yeah, in the East Coast, you guys have a lot more traditional <laughs> well, like heritage. But when people, and when I you guys people, are just speaking rocket science to me right now. Yeah, the East Coast has <laughs> designated flintlock seasons, but in the West Coast, I'm out here hunting with all these crazy modern inlines, and I'm just gonna say it. This may bother some people, but those inlines, I mean, they're just they're essentially single shot centerfire rifles anymore. Especially sure. some of the ones that they're building now. Um, there's a real famous inline builder here that works with my brother actually in the ballistics lab at NASA and he custom builds inline muzzleloaders that are putting pie plate groups out at 550. Well, yeah, they're shooting smokeless, modern smokeless powder with rifle primers and, and all of that stuff just so that they can fit into the, uh, definition, legal definition of a muzzleloading firearm so they can extend their season, which like it or hate it. You know, there's more hunters in the field, like mm-hmm. it or hate it, you know, we we just, we go back to the podcast we recorded, the woods is big enough for all of us. So um, exactly, it's better than not being able to hunt at all or have to uh, sneak around to hunt. So at this well, point. Well, and still the, the amount of people that do muzzleloader season in addition is still very slim. Well, it's graining popularity quickly because people want to take advantage of that season with an incredibly yeah. effective firearm, which, again, I never, ever disparage an inline hunter because that's just not who I am and that's not what I'm all about. But at the same time, I'm just going to be disgruntled and do my thing. But there's also a pride element of knowing you're doing it the right way and the hard way. I, I don't even know if right way is too audacious to say, but the Probably hard way is, is absolutely... Yeah, but the hard way is absolutely applicable. And, you know, I've shook hands with some guys out there. That's usually what I love about public land hunting is most people you come across are super friendly out there. And they're just psyched to see other people and hang out and talk. And when those inline dudes roll up on me with my, you know, I got a 42-inch barrel on my gun. That gun's five feet long. And they're like, Holy whoa. <laughs> they're like, that's that's pretty badass, dude. And I'm like, yeah, thanks, man. Like, I mean, I don't get all snobby about it, but... I'm happy to be doing it the traditional way. And it's really tough here in the West. We don't have a lot of the cover here, especially in the desert. Um, it took me almost five hours to get in range on my second deer I killed with it. Um, and it was only about a 400-yard stock, but I was doing it on my belly. And a five-foot-long five, five foot long gun is not exactly the easiest thing to sneak under bushes that are only a three feet tall. Well, the, so, thing, the thing that we have to be careful of, I think, is, is yeah, stand there with your five-foot rifle and take the pride in it that you know that you're doing it that way. And I think we can all become, it doesn't matter whether we're talking breeds of dogs, we're talking about, well, I don't ride a side by side. I always walk or, you know, whatever it is, you know, we can become snobs. And I see that a lot. I saw that a lot in my professional life. You know, people are like, well, yeah, I'm hunting 
with traditional archery equipment or I'm hunting with a flintlock or I'm doing this. So somehow this elevates me. It's the same way with, with modern religion about what church you go to, you know, the Baptists don't like the way the Nazarenes do it. And the Nazarenes doesn't like the church of Christ. And we're all here for the same common goal. folks. It's just like, be happy that they're out there getting after it and, and enjoying what, God gave us. Which I definitely am. Like I said, I always shake hands and smile, and I'm real happy to see and meet people. And like I said, 98% of people are real friendly. You know, one time we were hunting deer. Um, actually, this is I missed a buck that day with my flinter. Um, it was the best stock I've ever given a big game animal in my entire life. I stalked a bedded mule deer from behind, and he flushed at 12 yards. So it was pretty pretty awesome. But um, my buddy Alfonso got it all on film too. But Well, see, uh, I, could be I, a snob, walking... I could be a snob right now and say, you know, mule deer are, are stupid if you hunt eastern whitetails <laughs> and then you go out and you hunt a mule deer you know mule deer are stupid you know but they're not stupid it's just a different animal to hunt and the terrain's different yeah. and they and things they've like adapted that. under way less pressure than those whitetail have you know what i mean oh like the gosh. the whitetail are so cunning because there's so many people trying to smoke them and these muleys live out in really remote areas where they really don't get shot at very often right so yeah but anyway, I just um, think it was cool to see my first mule deer when we were out on the Navajo Nation. Like, I just like to, I like awesome. to see them. I can't believe I you saw them. And here I am. Yeah, it was, and it was a big, it was a big one too. I never posted a picture. Um, but here I am. Like, literally, the only thing I've ever killed is a raccoon. So <laughs> no, I mean, that's I'm the thing. just <laughs> like meager Jeez. Lauren, just hanging out. And, and that's never to disparage rifle hunters either. You know, we were coming around to it is because I started off with a rifle and I still think they're incredibly effective and humane. And anytime I'm talking to people that are kind of on the fence about hunting, there's a lot of people that think bow hunting is the most pure and superior form of hunting as far as like ethics of hunting go. And I, and I'm saying, you know, bow hunting is awesome. I'm a bow hunter. I, I love bow hunting, but if you're trying to be the maximum efficiency in the forest, nothing defeats a center fire. Like, I mean, there's just, they're, they're just a superior hunting tool. And uh, I love them too. I, I love all hunting. Let's just say that. that's why I wanted to, you know, talk about it. I, I just, I, yeah. I'm just a huge geek about black powder, and I think uh, traditional muzzleloading and archery have a lot in common as far as you know shooting and fundamentals go. But but why do we get up? Just, why do you get uptight? I mean, why do hunters get uptight about seeing somebody with an inline because they're afraid that somebody is going to interfere with them? I mean, I'm no different. When I'm out there with my flintlock, I like to daydream about being Simon Kenton and being the only white man for, you know, 300 miles and, and living this romantic lifestyle. But when it really boils down to it, I've never had anybody really mess something up to the point that, that it just ruined the whole hunt. You know, that's just a person looking for an excuse to have a bad day. I agree. And that's why I always stay friendly. Like you're saying, I, if you want my opinion, because Man, the woods is big enough for all of us, like especially in New Mexico. The the unit I put in for that I killed two of my bucks in, the unit is one unit of, I think, 53 in New Mexico. And this one unit is 107 miles long and 40 miles wide and 98% of its public land. So you literally can go and never see another human being. There's only 70 tags given out for that entire season right there. So that's not a problem to never see a human. You know, it's just that, I guess what I feel is that like you put in all this time and dedication to master something as difficult as a traditional muzzleloader. And then you feel that it's cheapened when someone can do it at a more mod. I guess that's how I feel. It's like, again, I, again, this is a light, a light conviction. If anything, I, I don't really get upset about it or, you know, whatever, but like, stay on your think, ground. I think I'm going to argue. Yeah, with I you. am. And so it's like, it's like, I feel like, I feel like I think it's BS that the spirit, the core value of muzzleloader season has been violated by these ultra modern, super high tech weapons that mimic a center fire in every way, but load through the front. They even load their primers through a bolt action in the back. Like right. it, ju- it's just a violation of everything that the black powder season was set aside for. Well, couldn't you in say my this, humble opinion? Couldn't you say the same thing about archery equipment though? I mean, you go. From, I think the disparaging. You go, I've had that you go from the 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 Osage self bow, the guy that that's making. You know, have you ever read 
uh, any of Saxton Pope and Art Young stuff or Fred Bear's stuff? Any of that stuff? Have you ever read any of that? I love Fred Bear. Yeah, Fred Bear is amazing. Yeah, I've yeah, read so lots of Fred Bear's. Have you ever heard of Ishi? You ever heard the name mm-hmm. Ishi? Uh, he's a famous archery hunter, correct? He was the last Native American in California. He actually came walking out of the mountains and walked down into civilization. He, civilization. he was the last surviving member of his tribe. Don't ask me what the tribe was or, and, and of his clan. He walks out of the mountains into, he walks out of a basically a Stone Age lifestyle, walks down the mountains to the 1900s, the 20th century. So he had seen stuff, he had seen trains, he had seen, you know, heard different sounds that he didn't recognize and all that stuff. But Ishi walks down, well, he becomes uh, a study piece. Art Young was a philanthropist and a professor, professor, I believe, at UC Berkeley. And so Art Young was also into archery, so he started doing a study on Ishi. And he documented this whole thing, and he talks about how he hunted, and he was the first traditional archer for real traditional archer that Art Young had ever met. And so he documents this whole book and this whole study on Ishii. So it's a fascinating story, but think about Ishii and what he thought when he saw Art Young's U-bow, when Ishii had been up there you know, scraping out bows with, with uh, a rock and making sinew strings and making arrows out of reeds and, and, and napping his own points and using birds and fletching his own arrows out of, out of crow feathers, raven feathers. Okay, first off, I want to be there. Okay, <laughs> that's what I want to be. Next, Ishii was a Yahi people. He was a Yahi Native American. I just looked it up. So if anyone was curious yep, and everything you just said was confirmed by the Wikipedia page. So congratulations. You did a very good job, (laughs) but (laughs) I can't be wrong. Always so correct. Hey, it's pretty amazing. But, but, uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, the way I would counter that is that, um, the, the, the difference between Ishii's bow and your U long bow and even a modern compound is still much less of a disparagement between an inline shooting 500 and my flintlock shooting 85 to a hundred. The, a compound bow, honestly, unless you're being like, unless you're a master or you're taking really like crazy kamikaze shots, you're still only shooting, you know, 60 yards and a stick bow 25, 30, but that's right. a big difference between 80 and 550. You know, I mean, that's just a whole nother level of skill, even with a compound that you need over any other form of hunting, any, even the most modern bows, you still have to get in within a hundred and you just, the skill that required to get in to me, this is like a really, this is a, my friend who's an, a flintlock hunter that I finally met. He says real hunting doesn't start until you're under 125. Agreed. And so archery that's how hunters, I feel. Archery hunters will tell you the same thing. And traditional bow hunters will even say under 80, you know, yeah, that's when the hunting and, starts. And that's, I agree fully. I mean, yep. look at, at my first, all my first traditional kills were all at 88 to 85, 82, like a right around that 80 yard mark. And so when I was really proud, when I, you know, started killing animals at 40 and 50 with my flinter, you know, so anyway, I don't yep. want to just sit here and like self-adulate all day long. I just, man, I, I was looking at my flintlock and I was like, I cannot wait to use that thing. I got a deer hunt and a bear hunt. And so I'm really excited to take a bear with my flinter and my, and a deer with my flinter this year. So yeah, yeah. You ought to do and a, you said you want to do one with hounds too. So like how many bear takes can you draw? How does um, that work? So you can do two. Uh, so there's no draw for the, the bear and Me- all hound hunting in New Mexico is done by uh, over the counter. There's no draw season oh. for hound hunting. Yeah. So I guess the way they've kind of, New Mexico is a really hound friendly state and uh, I want to keep it that way. So we're always on the lookout to protect it. But like, uh, you know, the thing is like, why would you raise hounds year round if you only get to hunt five days a year? So the, the thing is that the way New Mexico manages its bear population is you have bear management units and there's a set quota of bears that can be harvested in each unit or a set number of females that can be harvested. There you go. And so whichever one topic. reaches first. Yeah. So whichever one is reached first, that unit is now closed. 
And yeah. so when you harvest a bear, you have to bring it to the nearest game and fish office and have its pelt tagged and a tooth removed from its skull so they can show that it was harvested legally. And uh, you can go out, but, you know, a, a guiding outfit can take out as many people as they want as long as the person that is harvesting the bear is the license holder. But you as an individual, I believe, can only harvest two bears, possibly only one. I can't remember. I'll have to look it up in the rules. But New Mexico, same with lions and bears. Are, are, with bears, we have a pretty pretty long season. It's August to whenever the bears go to den, which is like November, and some units late November, um, and mountain lions year-round. So there is no pursuit or training. You can just go mountain lion hunting anytime you want. Same with bobcats. You can only harvest bobcats in the fall, but you can ch chase all year round. So, and then of course, all your varmints are all year round with dogs. So, yeah. so, so a mountain lion is still classified as a, a varmint in New Mexico. No, sir. It's considered game. Okay. Um, so no, is there a quota? Been, there is. Yep. It's exact same as bears. Okay. And, and so that's the biggest, um, the biggest, um, uh, I don't want to say defense because it makes it sound like we're in a fight, but like the biggest defense for hound hunting is that like we are incredibly selective. And I know, I know Mount in the short time I've been in the hound hunting world for five years, I've immersed myself in as many different styles as I can. And I'll tell you right now, a scent hound hunter will kick your butt if they catch you killing female mountain lions, because that will close the unit down for everyone quick and there'll be less mountain lions for everybody. But so mm -hmm. if you get around a group of big game hunters it lion hunters they will they will complain about people shut getting this season shut down because of female quotas being filled exactly you know? so say say a unit has a 10 mountain lion quota but three of those can be females as soon as those three females get tagged that unit's closed right for, that's for why harvest. they get mad when females yeah. get shot yeah yeah so if if all these houndsmen are out there and they're saying, you know, I'm going to kick anybody, who's killing the female lions? Who's doing it? It's spot and stock hunters typically, and bait bait's illegal in New Mexico of any kind, but spot and stock so, hunters mostly. Do you do you think it's because they can't? I mean, you should be able to tell the difference between a tom and a what do they call females? Uh, uh man, that's a good question. What is a female? <laughs> I should know that. A female. A female cat. I was called a female. Yeah. Kidding. I know. Like, <laughs> you can tell if it's an adult, you know, you can measure the track length if it's there's snow and stuff like that. But it's maybe if you're doing the spot and stock, you're not putting it up a tree. So you don't have That's right. as much. That's um, it. You have no ability to Time or ability to. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, so that's, that's why how hunting is awesome you, it is right. awesome and it is that's a great segue to, to say you know there's no other time that you're going to get a, a chance to evaluate your quarry than than when you have it treed with hounds that's but right. going back to the spot and stalk you know we often say you really never know like if you're spotting that black bear we, for instance, a couple of weeks in Idaho, we're out there glassing, boom, we find a bear on the side of a mountain. That thing had to be a mile and a half or two miles away. And man, that's a big, that's a big bear. You know, we could tell by the size of the tree, it was right. It's like, wow, that's got to be a boar. It's so big. And as Not we're sitting necessarily. there, so, <laughs> well, we're talking to people that look at black bears in idaho all the time and they've not seen oh, okay. bears hey, of that size yeah so um as we sit there and we glass some more now you see this little black speck following and then you see a little brown speck following so it was actually a sow so by effective glassing you can disseminate some of that stuff but still it's risky business not like when you've got quarry up a tree especially with lions mm -hmm. That's the reason biologists always use houndsmen to get our data, that or or hair traps. Exactly. So, exactly. Yep. You know, biggest friend of biology and predators are houndsmen for sure, and the good old fashioned and hair then, trap. And then they DNA the hair. I'm guessing. Yeah. To determine exactly. if it's male or female. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Cool. The stable isotope studies have changed everything in predator biology because we can now do diet analysis and and we can build a population in the area based on these hair traps and. It's an incredibly low stress way to build up your population in the area. So, yeah, it's, cool. it's awesome. Yep. Well, you often hear houndsmen say, 
you know, they've got the female quotas too high or they've got this, something's out of whack. Like the biologist doesn't know what he's doing. Um, and what do you say to that, Seth? When, when, when the DNA says that there's more bears than what, like what someone will be like, I know there's 50 bears in here and they say there's only three. That's BS. I see a bear every day. Is that what you mean? No, I'm saying you get a group of houndsmen and we're, we're, we're taking some liberty here. You know, I've said it before. Why are the female quotas so high in this unit? We're not seeing oh. that many lions. Why? How do they set? How do they set quotas? So, the, okay, I'm going to go out on a limb here because I don't work with predators and I don't work with any predator biology. But I'm just going to go about what I learned in school. And my friend, who is a predator biologist, they use a lot of the hair trap sampling data and they use a lot of historical data and trends, and they also use um, on the ground re- surveys and reports. And so, you know, if there's an abundance of prey, you can correlate between the abundance of lions and also in traditional areas that have traditionally high populations of lions will have a higher quota. And so um, that's about as as honest. And um, uh, I'm not going to willing to go much farther because I'm not on the ground making those survey calls. But basically what's happening is these biologists are collecting information from multiple sources. Oh, yeah. So bringing it all that, together, and mm-hmm. then they are making the the hypothesis of how many female lions can be taken out of this unit, still Correct. be good for the resource, not overly impact the resource, be good for the predator-prey ratios, be good for the ungulate population. I mean, you think about all of that. It's not just some arbitrary sit-down, well, we cure, killed six females there last year. Let's go ahead and... And uh, we, oh, I think we yeah, can. No. I think we can up it a couple. Let's go to eight this year. You yeah, know? definitely not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they they have dozens and dozens of those hair traps out all the time. And again, like there there's a lot of data that's flowing through. I mean, th- my buddy's an aphis hunter and he hunts coyotes, but he also contributes a lot of data to disease sampling and things. And um, that's all they do. I mean, they're all they do is sample population densities of carnivores in the area: foxes, coyotes, bobcats, lions, bears. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really honed science and, and sometimes, you know, quotas move, but in case anyone's wondering, the reason that the female quota is so low is that mountain lion females have a lot smaller home range than males and one Tom can move through and impregnate all the females in a given area. But if you lose females, you're going to take a long-term hit on that population. So obviously taking out breeding age females is, is frowned upon. So that's why the quota is so low. I mean, it's not it's not unsporting, right? It happens. It happens, but uh, it's definitely not something you want to be doing all the time. Yeah, I mean, I haven't killed a mountain lion or anything yet, but I'm happier when I kill a boar coon than I am a sow because I still want to keep that population alive because I like hunting where I'm hunting. Yeah, I'm the same so, way with jackrabbits, and jackrabbits are like legendary for their breeding rate, right? But at the same time, jackrabbits actually breed a lot slower than ra- uh, cottontails do because hares have a lot different biology than rabbits do. And so, uh, yeah, when I kill a female, no matter what, I'm bummed. Like it's just, it's just the unfortunate side of hunting. And dogs can't mm-hmm. discriminate, and you can't sex a hare at 50 miles an hour. Like it's not happening. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> when a hair comes up you're like hey there's one get them dogs and the race is on and we're hollering like monkeys and pedal to the metal let's do it they're not it as easily so cool. they're so, not as easily to to do a gender test as the ground squirrels we talked about <laughs> a scrotal male yeah. hair is pretty amazing but nothing like those ground squirrels gotcha. yeah i was so excited i saw a snowshoe hair for the first time up here i don't know why i haven't seen them like in years before but when i saw it i was like oh i want to go after it like i was uh-huh. gonna, like jump out of the truck <laughs> was so it- you guys know how there's like oh, go, go ahead go, go ahead, ahead seth so do you know how there's like a big five for every like there's like a a big whatever number in quotations so you have like the the big five in africa or you have like the the big four and big or sheep hunting it's like the big whatever it's sure. there is a there is a big five that dutch salmon kind of made up for hair coursers and it's the five species of north american hares and you actually have to travel an insane amount of distance to c- complete it and uh there's the does anyone know the five species of north american hare no, but it sounds like kind of like the grand slam of turkey hunting. Grand slam—that's right. the word I was looking for. Yeah. yeah. So I would the say, white tail. 
black tail. Oh, go ahead. And then you got the cotton tail. Nope, they're not hares. Those are rabbits. Okay. Well, well so, okay, snowshoe. so snowshoe, jackrabbit. The two, there's uh, three kinds of jackrabbit. Oh, well. Oh, well, let's I'm just get down scientific point. here. <laughs> you don't even want me to break out scientific names. That's just when it gets embarrassing and nerdy and you guys are going to okay. turn the podcast off. <laughs> so indulge us, Seth. Okay, there Not are. Not in the scientific names. No, 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 no. I have standards. Okay, here we go. There's the, there's the black-tailed jackrabbit. There's the white-tailed jackrabbit. There's the antelope jackrabbit. There's the snowshoe hare. And there's the white-sided jackrabbit. And those are all five. Is the jack? How, how, how are you going to force? How are you going to go ahead? <laughs> I was just going to ask. Are you thinking the, the antelope an... one is like the jackalope? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So the antelope jackrabbit is the largest hare uh, in North America, possibly in the world. I can't remember, but they, a male can weigh up to thirteen pounds, so they are pretty big. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Just turn around and put some ninja moves on a dog. You better have a kill dog with you. Yeah, I can't imagine how you'd course a snowshoe hare. Yeah, so they actually are very easy to catch if conditions are pretty ideal. Um, the, the if you catch them in when it's light snowfall, they're pretty easy to catch with greyhounds because they're not evolved okay. to run from such incredibly fat. Their number one predators are lynx, so they're not really evolved for these unbelievable feats of long distance, high speed endurance like a, ja- a black tail or a white tail is. I mean, they've just got, you know, 17 or whatever inch beagles running after them up here. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, I mean, blacktail jackrabbit is an eight-pound animal that can run almost 50 miles an hour. And they can sustain that speed for three minutes straight without slowing down. So, it's pretty badass. They're so cool. I I really do think they're one of the coolest animals ever. Like I was telling Chris, it's 113 at my house right now. And they can go their entire life without drinking a single drop of standing water. I don't even know how that's, that just doesn't, it defies logic. They're sitting out there yeah. under heat. The ground temperature is 135 on the sand, 140 earlier today. And they're just sitting there under a bush waiting for it to cool down. So I know I just re-listened to our podcast with Andrea today, or at least a part of it. And I, you said that about not drinking water. That's yeah, crazy. they're crazy. A lot of, a lot of animals here are like that, actually. And oryx, the invasive, well, not invasive, well, some people will say they're invasive, but I don't. They introduced African gazelle to New Mexico's public lands here. Here in the summer, I mean, this is an animal the size of a small horse. Um, males can get about 800 to 900 pounds. Females can get around 500, 600 pounds. They can go in the hottest part of summer right now, they can go about 11 days without water. So for an animal that size to go that long without water is pretty incredible. And in the wintertime, they can go months without water. It's like the American camel. (laughs) Yeah, they're amazing. And like their ability to utilize ultra harsh environments to suit them is incredible. Um, They're masters of of survival, really. I mean, they they can just it's it'll be 95 degrees outside and you'll see five of them just standing out there grazing. And you're just like, what? How is this even possible? And they're they're evolved to live in a really brutal place, the Kalahari. So their skin, a bull oryx has thicker skin than a cow oryx, and his skin on his back, where his shoulders would be, it's about an inch and a half thick. And that's so when lions jump on his back, they don't tear him up. So wow. you have to have a really good skinning knife to get through those bad boys if you want to do it. So a... Not my kitchen paring knife. No, I can't <laughs> pack that along. Yeah, you can't bring your coon skin and knives with you, Lauren. <laughs> I just it's just out. one. It's just one. <laughs> I need to know which one it is in case there's ever a dinner at your house. I mean, I scrub it and put it through the dishwasher. Hey, my dad would say that always sanitized dishes in the dishwasher, That's so right. that was his thing. So, well, I yeah. put I mean, I put a lot of stuff in the dishwasher, like I'll sanitize the dog collars, you know, I put my um just like your regular like dishes. I've never sanitized the a dog sponge. dog collar. Uh when it gets real stinky, yeah, put it in the dishwasher. I never thought about that. Define yeah. stink. Um, like if they've rolled in some nasty dead animals. Yeah, I'm not putting that in my it. dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I got like buckets and bleach. It's clean. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I've tried. I've scrubbed it and I've done vinegar and all this stuff. And I'm like, I can still smell it, especially with that brass nameplate mm. on there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, 
I put a lot of stuff in the dishwasher. Oh I don't know. Goodness. I don't know what else, but my pointer yeah. pit bull loves rolling in carcasses. I mean, like she will smell a carcass out. Put her in the dishwasher. I I've thrown her by her scruff and her tail into like cattle stock tanks and things like that. But like my greyhounds, they're like giant cats. They see that carcass and they're like, yuck. They like put their nose up and walk away. And I'm like, good dogs. Heck yes. Like, so, but they hate baths so much. I've never seen dogs that hate water more than my greyhounds. My Saluki, he doesn't mind. He'll get in the water, sort of, kind of. My greyhounds hate water so much that even if there's a puddle on the floor, they won't step in it. And if you wet, <laughs> if you wet the ground to make like cool mud for them to lay in, they will not lay in it. They hate that water that much. Mm. It's crazy. I mean, my if it's raining outside my dogs and I'm like, go to let them out, they're like, no. And I have to like force them outside. And then they're yeah, like standing under the porch. I'm like, come on. Like, I'm not dealing with this right now. Yeah. But they mine... don't mind baths, but that's because they get, you know, their massage and everything. Mm. They get a bath. <laughs> yeah, I don't pay Cedar. Cedar swam for the first time up here. When I got to Ashland, we went to the beach that's right like in town. Lake Superior, and there was this guy, um, like wading out in the water, and she just went, like never been in the water before, and just go, just went, and I was like, oh my god, it was so cool. Well, it was awesome. hot too, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because you had her covered up in some kind of beach wrap or something in that one. Oh, picture. that was a di- that was a different beach. That was like a week later. Oh, okay, five days later. No, I had her covered up in the towel i brought her to the beach and she was the best dog at the beach she just stayed there i didn't even need to tell her to stay Hmm. and but the flies were just so bad um so i just covered her up she was happy as a clam okay so here's my question to the houndsmen here hounds people so chris honestly do you bathe your dogs and if so how often because well why don't you start i think there's going to be a difference between those who bring their dogs inside occasionally and those who do not (laughs) yeah see my dogs live inside so well they don't live inside they come inside every day so i'll be maybe we'll see what chris how often do you bathe your dogs and why if you don't or rarely okay so all right when mongo and i headed out west last year and he was going to ride in the front of the truck because it was going to be uh extremely cold then mongo got a bath actually actually he got a shower I rode with him the first leg of the trip, and we stopped where we stopped, uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I'm not going to name the motel in case they're looking for me. So <laughs> <laughs> we get in. Just we, ruin that bathroom. Yeah, yeah, we get in there, and so I just take him right in the shower with me, and I'm, I'm scrubbing him up. And then the shower starts filling up because there was so much hair that came off of him. It was clogging yeah, the drain. Like, what kind of man party yeah. was in this shower? Exactly. That's what the people thought. Uh, and I was just like, <laughs> holy cow. Hair. So now I'm taking the drain cover off and I'm plunging the drain and stuff. So I didn't get charged oh, no. for it. Na- oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was bad. <laughs> okay, so, so why did oh, he man. get that, though? Why did you give him that? Just because he thought you needed one or he was cold? Or what, what was the deal? Because he was riding in the front of the truck with me. Well, he rode he rode from here to South Dakota with me, and he rode in the dog box. Okay, so yep. I didn't have to deal with the funk in the truck. and uh, But I knew leaving South Dakota and had it, it was sub-zero weathers, he was actually traveling by himself. If I'd have had two dogs in the box, I one side of the say, box. So the other one's got the short end of the stick? No, he, I just took Mongo on that initial trip. Oh, okay. So okay. he was riding by himself in the dog box. If there were two dogs in there, I wouldn't have done it because two dogs will keep each other warm in that dog box. But uh, he was riding by himself, and I thought, you know, I'm not going to make him. That's just uh, too cold, too much air. He's going to ride up front with me. And uh, he did. He rode the rest of the way. We had to pull off a couple times, pull over a couple times, and and set some rules up, and uh, him know what part of the truck he was allowed in and which part was my part. He wanted to get up front and help me drive a couple times. Yeah, well, I've got like a Piper acts like a beagle and in that center console and wants to just sit on that center console. Mm-hmm. And on a big on a big truck, that's fine. Like, there's plenty of room. But I drive a Tacoma. It's, I don't know, 10 inches wide. Yeah, I feel your pain <laughs> so exactly. So it's just funny. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine three dogs trying to get into the console to look out the windshield for rabbits. That's how mine are every time. <laughs> yeah. 
I have to like be. I need a camper show badly or a dog box with my Tacoma because I just cannot have four dogs in the back of my Tacoma, like in the back seats. Yeah, you need just, a dog box, just I a little do. light dog box. Yes, exactly. So, so Chris, is there any other? I mean, besides when a dog gets skunked or something, or you're gonna you you don't really show your dogs on in bench shows, really, right? Yeah, but if I'm going to breed days and stuff like that, I do I do bathe them. I I take them to the pond. I, okay. I swim them a lot, and when I take them to the pond, then uh, you know I'll take a a thing of flea and tick shampoo with me and just scrub them down and stuff like that. And swim sure. with them and. Things like that. But if I'm going to town, if I'm going to a breed days or something like that, I'm going to clean those dogs up. I'm going to have my truck washed. I'm going to have all my equipment cleaned up, you know, rolling in like I own the place. Let the dogs strut their stuff. So, Just an illusion. Yeah, that's right. Anytime in this household I go to breed days, I better uh, better bathe beforehand. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Did I uh, did I cut out for that? I hope I did. <laughs> no, no, we'll, not at we'll, all. We'll make sure we leave that in going there. Out. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, but yeah. Uh, um, well, uh, real quick, Lauren, what about you? Um, you know, people probably think that I bathe them more than I do. Um, it's when they get stinky. Um, if they've if they've gone hunting. And I haven't been able to get them clean from like up here. We get that like mucky mud smell from the swamp and it's like a really bad smell. So if, if I've gone to like a competition hunter or whatever hunt, they'll probably spend the night outside and then the next day I'll bathe them. Um, got it. Got it. I'll bathe them. Yeah. yeah I don't, I don't bathe mine really ever. Even my little pets, my wife's like pets. I, uh, uh I just, uh, Unless they roll in something, yeah. My greyhounds, yeah. they have no undercoat and no. Uh... Did I lose you guys? You lost Seth for a second. I lost Seth oh, for a second. Okay. Well, hey. Oh, we, great, great. This is a, this is a tailgate talk. We've we're not going to turn it into a podcast. <laughs> and uh, yeah, like good it. point. Yeah, so easy. Yeah. Yeah, we can go on and on, but we do need to get together the three of us and. And uh, do this more often. We're going to be rolling these tailgate talks out. It's bonus material for our Patreon sponsors. And uh, just chatting about dog stuff, telling funny stories and and, uh, catching up. So, Lauren, you have fun in bear camps. I have stories to tell. I bet you do. (laughs) I bet you do. But uh, Yeah, we're going out hunting in the morning. Good. I took took vacation all day tomorrow. Ooh, that sounds awesome. Yep. I'm jealous. Yeah. I'm so jealous. <laughs> Keep us posted, Lauren. Will do. All right. Seth. Talk yes, to you sir. Later. We will see everybody. All right. You follow your hounds, I'll follow mine.